Welcome to Naked with Mimosas and Hot Sauce, a relatable podcast series about life and being consciously uncomfortable. I'm Kelly. And I'm SB. And we invite you to get naked in this chaos with us as we build a conscious community one conversation at a time. And having a few laughs along the way. So with that being said, let's get get naked. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Nelson Mandela. Welcome to Naked with Mimosas and Hot Sauce. <laughs> oh, Sarah, who do we have here with us today? So we have um, a very special guest of mine um, who is our neighbor and has quickly become friends of ours, Nell Marie's. Nell Marie's, do you want to give a some background on yourself? Share as much as you want or as little as you want. Totally up sure. to you. Sure. So I am the neighbor. Thank you. <laughs> and for- friend, obviously. <laughs> thank you for having me tonight. So we are neighbors with the Steins representing um, all of the Latinos out here in Metro Atlanta. And so we have known each other for since you guys moved in. I mean, I be six years for us in September. Six years. Yep. So I remember the day that you all pulled in and we were trying to figure out who was next door. <laughs> um, <Right>. But in <laughs> a nutshell, um, I have just dedicated my life to really figuring out this, um, how to solve this issue of systemic injustice when it comes to education in our country and how, where you live and how much you make essentially determines the quality of education that you are able to receive. Um, And so believe that is not right and that an excellent education is a human right and so that's what I focus my my career and my life to and I'm excited to be here tonight and just dig a little bit deeper on 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 what's going on right now in our country awesome thank you very much and we also have the famous Erin to end she's back she's back I'm here we're so excited to have you we we, um you were you blessed us with your presence on our first episode um, you are our consultant and you're an amazing educator. So remind everyone and those who are listening and tuning in for the very first time um, a little bit about Erin with two N's. Yeah, so I um, am Erin with two N's, which many of you liked to. I thought this was a safe space. Like I thought I could say I had been teased for many years right, no, about the two ends and that people would respect that and that's not what happened. Instead, I was harassed and further made fun of, but it's fine, it's fine. Um, build character. It does build character, but um, I'm a administrator and teacher consultant and uh, development coach, and just have been in education the last 11 years, working in a low-income school and working side by side with teachers to just close. Um, actually, I don't like to say that. I really don't like the term education gap anymore, honestly, mm-hmm. but. To just provide a strong education to kids who deserve it, um, regardless of where they live, their background, where they come from. Um, and so that is what I do every day. Awesome. And we'll get more to what you're starting your business in July, where that is. Yeah. And yeah. The end of the episode, we're excited to share um, and follow your story and journey. So awesome. we're excited. And we're here, Sarah Beth, because the topic of conversation is really around like, what are parents to do <laughs> right in the brem of COVID-19? Do we start, do we send school kids to school, virtual learning? Like what's happening? So let's start with the conversation of what, you know, the 
the people that you, I don't have children myself. So I'm actually very curious on what I could do, what I should be, know, what, what I should know, what I shouldn't know. Um, and making change and embracing the change. But then also, with, you know, with parents, we have three moms sitting here on the round table. So let's talk about what, what you guys are thinking. Uh, my scenario is a little different because I am at a private school, uh, preschool. So Steele has been able to go to school since the beginning of May. And um, I saw a post that's been flying around the past couple of days that was like, let's practice this in the mirror. When a, when a, when a parent says, I'm going to send my child back to school, you say, you're doing, a, you're doing a great job. I'm going to keep my child at home. You're doing a great job, right? I don't remember the third one was, but the whole idea was, there was a moment in time where I didn't want to tell people that um, we had decided to send Steel back to, to Primrose when they opened the beginning of May. Um, so far, uh, come almost the end of July, it's not been a negative decision for us that they have figured it out and they had a plan in place and they followed through with it. And I knew that my child um, thrived off of social um, kind of scenarios like that, as well as more structured environment that me or my husband could give to him. So I... I have not been in a situation that I can't say that I've struggled longer than six weeks and having my child at home while I'm trying to work. So I can't empathize with, I can try to empathize, but I don't, I can't relate because I haven't been in this, in this situation or the scenario, but I can only imagine what it is like. And I only have one child to try to do the job that I am doing in a brand new job that I'm only four weeks into dealing with having to think about this looming scenario, right? Of your children being at home with you. Um, coming up on no, what I think right now is for most scenarios, most uh, counties or school systems is what nine weeks, mm -hmm. I think is what the majority of, of their of them are doing. So I don't really have anywhere to go necessarily with that from that. I'm just sharing my scenario of what I'm in right now. What about you? Numbers? I mean, I think you brought up a good point. I mean, I remember the day when we met in the backyard. Um, and you told me that you were thinking of sending steel back to school. Um, and I remember thinking like, great, like that's going to be fantastic for him. But I do remember you feeling a little bit of caution. I'm not sure of like how I was going to react and like if there would be um, a sense of judgment. And so I think it's just, it, it's very interesting. Like we as mothers know what our children need more than anyone else for them to thrive. And I think that looks differently for every child. And so that then directly informs the decision that needs to be made. Um, and so I think when we look at public school and K through 12 education, it's, we are now in the same situation that you were presented with um, six, six weeks ago mm -hmm. um, of like, do we send our children back or not um, weighing like what are the risks and what are the benefits to each situation and what do we know our children need? What can we provide? What are risks and what are benefits that we are wanting to take or not to take? And what have you decided to do with your kids? What is your, can you give everyone kind of an like yeah. a scenario? Cause you have two more kids than I have. I do. So I have three babies at home. Um, we have three babies at home. Our oldest is six years old. Um, so he did kindergarten last year. He's going into first grade, but we have actually chosen to have him repeat kindergarten. And so that was a very big decision that we just uh, went back and forth with. And at the end of the day, um, I am also at an advantage, I will say, because my um, son is um, a late May birthday. 
So we literally, in a typical school he won't year, feel it, right? No, he won't I mean, I don't it. think he will. Yeah. In a typical school year, the school ends, um, the school year ends, and like a week, two weeks later, he has his birthday. So he was very much younger for his group. Um, he's a boy, and you hear so much around, you know, sometimes boys just take longer. So I do know that we had a lot more advantage and privilege on in in just the situation and in thinking about what to do um it would have been very different potentially if we had a girl who turned um whose birthday was in september right like and would essentially be seven repeating kindergarten so but we did you know ultimately uh, looking at where we were and how the year went um he hasn't been in school and consistent instruction since march um this year is going to look very wonky. It's I'm not confident it's going to be a strong academic, social, emotional learning year. So we said, you know what? Let's give him two wonky years of kindergarten versus like <laughs> a horrible year of kindergarten and a horrible year of first grade. And so for us too, it's like, it's this idea of like how race actually impacts everything that you do. And so I clearly have, a brown child who just is up against some things that others are not. And so for us, it was an additional source of pressure. Like I cannot have a brown boy in first grade who is not reading on grade level, who is not um, acquiring like the conceptions of math where he needs to be like it is going to, he's already at a disadvantage because the color of his skin and the, and what all comes with that. So what can I do as a parent to equal equalize um, this situation? So we have decided to have him repeat kindergarten. So we're moving forward with that. Our young daughter, our middle daughter struggles with hearing loss. So she is very loud, but doesn't know it. And she's also, she just needs structure, routine, activity, and people. Mm-hmm. And we knew that at home with two full-time jobs and three children total, we could not provide her what we needed. So just like Sarah Beth chose for Steel, we are sending her as well to a private pre-K. Um, the same uh, same place Steel goes. So we're going to be sending her there starting in August so that she can get a little bit more of what she needs. And our baby, you know, we're sacrificing our baby and have decided, you know, let's put in our resources <laughs> to this middle child of ours. This is how it works. I'm like, yeah, I'm exactly. I'm, I'm taking notes over here. I haven't had children yet. You know, and baby P is so cute. And they've got the best. And so we are going to, you know, let's let's let her stay home. You know, she's um she's going to be two this year. And so we've, we've decided to keep her at home, protect her a little bit longer until we, we know how this is going to play out. That's really so cute. Uh, dress him as we want. <laughs> He's going to school. Uh, so Jackson goes to school as well. I, how old was Jackson? He is about to be six. Yeah, he started kindergarten. So that was a big thing. And I think one of the things I think my family figures is like, well, Aaron's an educator. She'll just keep him home. No. I think the issue is that kindergarten is so pivotal and important. And aside from the content you need to learn, there's this piece of like 
learning to like school. And if you, in the beginning, don't like school, it's going to be really hard to turn that around when the content gets harder, when the work gets harder. And so for me, I was like, besides the content, he's got to go to kindergarten because he needs to like learn like the joy of school and like he's not going to like school at home with me. One, I am the teacher drill sergeant when it comes to learning, you know, because I think every teacher has that background where they're like, I don't want my kid to be that kid in class. So you're a little harder on your own children when it comes to learning. Um, so that was one thing. And then two, like my background is in middle school. I don't know anything about teaching kindergarten. I really don't. Like I know best practices of strategies and I can like figure it out, but I don't know any sight words. I, like, I don't know nothing about any of that sort of thing or like what kindergarten math is. I have no, I'm Googling like every other parent. So he goes to school, um, like Sarah Beth, I think in the beginning, I only told Sarah Beth he was going back to school and I swore her to secrecy because I was, same thing. I didn't want anyone to judge that I was sending him. And he, I think maybe in total was maybe out like three or four weeks. It was pretty short. Mm -hmm. um, but I also felt really confident in the school's plan to keep him safe. And I trusted them to, if something happened or there was a positive test to communicate that and be right really way. like forthcoming about that um and the other thing for me honestly this might sound selfish but it was a reality for us was we went through a conversation of okay if he doesn't go back do we pay for private virtual school like what how is that worth the money you know but then also wanting to support the school because we believe in the school so there was a lot of that. So there also just came a choice where it was like, all right, if you guys are going to be open and he can go and we're paying for it, he's going to go. And I don't regret the decision at all. He's having an amazing time. He loves school. He loves seeing his friends. And I honestly feel like I would have been doing a disservice to the students that I serve because I wouldn't be able to, someone was going to get the short end of the stick. I can't teach kids all day and coach teachers all day and teach my son. I just can't. So someone was going to get the short end of the stick. And I feel like this decision was the best for my family to make sure that Drexel gets his education and then I'm able to be a support to other kids and students as well. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of peace of mind um, numbers because I know you're probably a little bit nervous about Daniela starting in August, but yeah. I promise you that the scenario, at least for us on our side, has been a positive one. I wrote her, I wrote Aaron last night about, you know, a suspected case of, something in our school and, and, and not in his classroom. And she was like, we had the same thing and they handled it great. Like I couldn't have asked for a better situation, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to come up. Um, add real quick, real yes. quick too. I think the other thing is like, that's going to be normal. Yeah. Like right. it's, it's going to happen every other week in schools is there's going to be positive cases. Mm -hmm. And so I think the other piece of parents is just to ask, be really clear about your school's plan ask the questions about the teachers Ask like ask the questions that you need to know about what is your actual plan if someone has positive or suspected so and hold them accountable to the plan right, that yeah. they communicate because schools really don't want to shut down but it's about safety so i would just mm -hmm. make sure you know the plan and that you're holding them accountable to the plan that they send out and communicate for sure I agree with that. I'm going to jump us into kind of why we wanted to do this. I'm going to read from an article that Aaron, you sent Kelly and I 
called How Educational Inequality in America Can Be Impacted by the Homeschooling Pod Frenzy. Okay. So I did like a test kind of sample run on my Facebook page tonight, which I feel like depending on the circumstances, I can be pretty, I can get a lot of activity or I get very, very limited activity. And I got very, very limited activity on this question. (laughs) And I figured that would happen. And it was, my question was pretty direct. I wanted somebody to essentially call out. They could have DM me or whatever on, um, are you in a scenario where you're going to put your, your child in a self-organized pod, quote unquote. Um, and if you are, I'm not judging that. Are you opening up your home or the pod to somebody that is at a, at a least socially economically, um, I don't know the term to use a disadvantaged scenario there. So, um, this quote comes directly as this. So it's kind of a paragraph, but let me get through it real quick. So with parents feeling the unease of an unpredictable and insurmountable school year ahead, a new movement has arisen seemingly overnight. Self-organized pods or micro schools in which families bring five to 10 children together to learn, socialize, and be cared for. These groups range from co-op style where parents take turns watching and teaching the children to pooling resources to pay for teachers, tutors, and caregivers. There are vibrant Facebook groups consisting of thousands of parents that have popped up across the country over the last few few weeks. These parents are suddenly scrambling to find pods of similarly aged children and to hire educators. While self-organizing around schooling pods makes sense as a way of taking control and optimizing for several different factors, this trend can have highly inequitable results. There are several, several forms of marginalization that can result from this model. So I say that um, I, and we can go down these um, kind of what there's several forms of the marginalization that can come from of it. But can you guys break down to us as if someone that A, does not have kids like a Kelly who wants to know how she can help, right? Um, to maybe a mom that, yes, I'm a mom, but just because you um, birth a baby does not mean that all the educational stuff comes to you. I'll just insert it with this stuff of not of know what to do. Um, to anyone else listening, maybe you, maybe we catch somebody um, that's listening that's going, oh my God, I was a part of forming this pod and I didn't even think about well, how that's, other family. That's the thing. So one, we're not saying pods or co-ops or... Yeah, micro schools. Yeah. Right. Like that's not a bad thing, but those have been around. I have other friends whose kids are in co-ops. It's not a new concept. Homeschooling, none of that is new. Not to this extent. Right, exactly. Yeah. The idea of it is not yeah. is not new. It is now more widespread and becoming more popular. More mainstream. Right. So no one's saying don't do this. We're not knocking that. I think our point is to think about all of the repercussions of these sorts of pods and micro schools and that sort of thing. So I just want to make that clear because I don't want anyone no, to think that, right that we're yeah. knocking parents doing what they need to do. That's not what, what we're knocking. Right. I just wanted to make sure I think it's more like operating with curiosity and proactively looking at this situation and asking ourselves, what are the implications of that? What are we going to see as a result of this frenzy? Um, the good, the bad, let's just talk about it and consider that. Who is it including? Who is it leaving out? And what are going to be the repercussions of this um, in a year? What, what can that potentially look like? That is probably the part that I feel like is one that we can broach the subject the most of right now is I think about I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way that could potentially be listening, but I think about where I was raised in Alpharetta. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
are the neighborhood I was raised in. Would anybody be in this situation, be trying to formulate this pod and go, should we, is anybody thinking about the kids that could not be able to afford what we're about to do? And could we reach out a hand? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's where I really wanted, we can go whatever direction you guys really want to go, but I really wanted to bring up that part of the in- inequality piece and equity piece of this part. Before we even jump into those parts, can we even talk about what just happens when you pull your kids out of the public? Yeah. Program? So I do think that is super <laughs> important. What we were talking about off the right, right when we weren't recording yet is you guys try to replicate that conversation as much as possible because I think it's super important for a lot of people. To yeah. Hear. So I think that just thing that we have to understand is when you, so a, a kid, and I hate to say it like this, but a kid in a school is like a dollar sign, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So there's curved pupil funding. That's what keeps your school afloat. That's what keeps it going. That's what you have operating, operating literally staff. from the buses to paying the staff to the lunch, to like all of that, right? And so when a child is no longer in your building, that money leaves. So that could be whether they're asked to leave, that could be whether they move, like a number of reasons. But when you, when a child is unenrolled, that money goes. That's why often you will see. Can I interrupt? Do schools get a chance to, uh, uh, a time period to re- find somebody that, or to re-enroll another student? Yes. Or is and so it's a short window. At the beginning of the year, on October 1st, it's usually count day. Yep. And so on October 1st, um, officials, school administrators are expecting people to walk through your building and take a count. That's why it's called count day. Of I've never every heard, I've single no body so like, heard in, the in your school building. building. Gymnasium. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? In front of the gym and the amphitheater at the same time, yeah. you stand up and say your name and take a picture. It's not that. Could have potentially been. Yeah. Yeah. She <laughs> is from Michigan. Yeah, so like, that's an interesting way of doing that. <laughs> I mean, usually schools even yeah. like run campaigns yeah. leading up to count day to ensure that like children are in the building on October 1st. But that's also why you'll see schools. Like the wait list, I know at my school personally, up until that date, if a kid doesn't show up by like day three of the first of the first week, we're like, all right, are they coming? Are they not coming? I mean, the first week is phone call after phone call after phone call, figuring out like, are you just missing? Are you coming? Because if not, I need to call the wait list and get this spot filled because we are projecting our budget around X number of kids, 420 kids. We need 420 kids in this building for this budget to balance. So one issue when we start doing pods and micro schools is that if you are pulling them out of public school, some are just doing this as like, we're going to work together. I was going to say, can you clarify that? That was one of the articles you sent. So people are either choosing to pull out and homeschool or they're choosing to pod this together to virtual learn as a group. So some some of these are not, I'm unenrolling my student and I just really need someone to come and just facilitate Virtual, virtual learning, learning. Okay. right? So that I can work. That does that. not impact the school system by no. okay. as long as your child remains still on their right. right. If you say I'm over this whole thing, I'm just pulling my whole child out. It does affect the school. Okay. So that yeah. normal people know that. Normal people. No, I think that's the wrong way to say. I think somebody that might not be as like we learned a lot prior to starting the recording, right? Which I kind of wish that we had been recording that whole time and yeah. taking it because I think 
again, I use the joke that just because you birth a child does not mean it comes with all of this stuff. I call sure. Aaron a lot um, and go over next door and ask a lot of questions over what the hell to do with my child <laughs> when it comes to this stuff. Knows, no, no, I, don't I mean, so. they don't. I don't think they do. I think people, I think if you don't have kids I don't, or you're not in education, I think you just, gen- I'm going to give a general idea. And I think, I do think now it's coming to the light more. Like you're, especially when we talked about defunding the police and like people are starting to talk about where money is allocated and where things go or you hear Trump saying he's going to not fund the schools if you don't open brick and mortar so I think people are starting to become more aware of how funding of schools works Um, but no it's not a normal topic of conversation I think people understand that public education is not where it needs to be but I don't think people understand all the elements that have led to that Right. We right. joke and say same as like yeah. that's my tax dollars that right. I paid. That's my tax right. money, and you're like, do you really even know what no. that means? <laughs> do you know where that's going? So okay, cool. I don't remember where we were going with we that. We were just talking in general about the idea of one issue with this whole pause is if you are un- unenrolling your kid, you are affecting the budget of the, of the school. And I would just consider like if you. If this is a temporary thing for you, like you're like, okay, well, once this next year I plan to send my kid back, like there's an impact with that, a financial impact with that. That doesn't just affect your child, it affects teachers and staff and all other students Mm -hmm. and operators. It doesn't. So if enough students got unenrolled, there could be teachers that are laid off and not. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. And every year you you can search for schools if you don't hear about it publicly where teachers are surplused. And what that means is that the school planned incorrectly or over-budgeted teachers, administrators, staff, faculty. And on count day, there were not enough children in seats to actually fund the amount of people they had hired. And so you have to let go of staff. And I think one of the implications of this pod frenzy is we are going to see a huge wave of that happen um, depending on when and if the government decides that we will still move forward with accounting. I think everything is up in the air. A lot of that is as far as like waivers for attendance and all of that. And like what is so... I mean, we're probably getting really educational nerdy on them a little bit. But like what constitutes attendance on virtual learning do i just like what does it what does it i just signed in and then i took a lunch break extended like is it because i turned in my assignment like how do students get credit for attending school what is not true what is not that concludes another episode of naked with mimosas and hot sauce Thank you so much for listening. Regardless if this is your first time listening to us or if you have been here since day one, please know that we are beyond grateful for any love you can show us. So if you can take just a second to rate us and leave a review on whatever app you're using to listen to us today would be awesome. Also visit our website at mimosasandhotsauce.com to sign up for what will be one amazing newsletter and then follow us on Instagram at mimosasandhotsauce or on Facebook at Naked with Mimosas and Hot Sauce. Until next time, stay naked. naked.